what's happening everyone welcome back to total football club where we speak one universal language my name is alex perez and i am flying solo today chris is not available he will be back next week we have an excellent show for you all as always we're going to talk about barcelona atletico madrid real madrid sevilla they all split points we're going to talk about chelsea manchester city and we're also going to talk about Robert Lewandowski's future, he could be on the move, maybe Bayern Munich is not the team where he will be playing at next season. But before we begin with any of that, I would like to ask you guys to do something that would mean a whole lot to us. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and not only that, please give it a rate and a review, a rating and a review that would mean so, so much to us. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We have these pieces going up in video form. And, of course, follow us on social media at Total Foot Club on Twitter, on Instagram. Instagram mainly, that's where a lot of the good stuff comes out. And, of course, on Facebook. Bueno, comencemos. Hay que recordar que este es un podcast bilingüe. Hablamos español, hablamos inglés, pero lo más importante es que hablamos fútbol. Y este fin de semana, seguramente muchas personas pensaban que iba a ser un fin de semana decisivo en, en la carrera por el título de la Liga Española. Y el sábado por la mañana, por lo menos horario de acá de los Estados Unidos, se jugó un partido crucial en esta, en esta carrera hacia el título de la Liga. Se jugó un Barcelona y Atlético de Madrid. Empataron 0 a 0. Pero creo que en este partido pudimos ver la historia de la temporada del Barcelona. Aquí se contó perfectamente la historia de la temporada del Barcelona. Porque en el primer tiempo se vio un Barcelona inferior. Esos primeros 45 minutos en los partidos grandes al Barcelona se le han dificultado y bastante. Apostaron por el trazo largo, no tanto por preferencia, sino porque eso es lo que le obligó a jugar el Atlético de Madrid. En ningún momento tuvieron control del partido, si es que se le puede decir. Y de nuevo, tuvieron que apostar por esos trazos largos. No tuvieron tanto la posesión. Los, los pases cortos no llegaron. Esa, esa fluidez de juego que tiene el Barcelona no se vio en el primer tiempo. Pero en el segundo tiempo hubo un repunte del equipo. Y todo empezó quizá de, de una manera muy irónica. Empezó porque sacaron a Oscar Mingueza y entró Ronald Araujo. Seguramente ustedes se preguntarán, bueno, ¿cómo es que el equipo va a mejorar en ataque si metieron a otro central? ¿O si reemplazaron a un central? Es que el equipo era más sólido defensivamente. Podían arriesgar un poquito más. Podían adelantar las líneas. Eso es lo que hizo el equipo del Barcelona. Un, un acierto increíble, un acierto total. De, de Ronald Coman y todos sus asistentes al, al meter a Ronald Araujo. Yo pienso que él debería de estar jugando más. Es un gran jugador, Ronald Araujo. Un jugadorazo. Y de repente, Oscar Mingueza no termina de convencerme. De nuevo, gran acierto, gran acierto por, por el cuerpo técnico del Barcelona porque Mingueza estaba sufriendo bastante ante Yannick Carrasco que se jugó un partidazo el jugador belga. Pero algo 
que, no so, que, que se me hizo muy irónico, al igual que, que la mejoría del Barcelona con la entrada de un central, es que sus mismos centrales fueron los que causaron más problemas en el área contraria. Fue Piqué, fue Lenglet, fue Ronald Araujo los que causaron un poquito más, más de miedo en la defensa del Atlético de Madrid porque de repente les llegaban centros a, a ellos, ellos llegaban en esa segunda ola de ataque porque los jugadores del Atlético de Madrid ya esperaban que llegara Messi, que llegara Griezmann, eh, que llegara Dembélé cuando entró también, pero no se esperaban que, llegara, que llegaran esos centrales a rematar de cabeza y eso le sirvió muchísimo al equipo del Barcelona para poder tener cierta, cierta sorpresa en su ataque, una sorpresa que no tuvieron en lo absoluto en esos primeros 45 minutos. Y hablando de esos atacantes, muy, muy poco, se vio muy poco del ataque del Barcelona. Pedri perdido por completo. Y de nuevo, he hablado de, de Pedri en, en episodios anteriores, hablé de él cuando se jugó el Clásico y me pareció que jugó mal, jugó un partido malo, no neces necesariamente por lo que hizo, sino por lo que dejó de hacer y porque lo, lo obligaron a hacer cosas que no en, en las que no se siente muy cómodo, Pedri. Y se perdió, se perdió por completo. Lionel Messi tuvo algunas pinceladas, pero aún así no, no es suficiente. Una, una pincelada quizá en otro momento pudo haber sido suficiente, pero para este partido, para lo que te exigía este partido, no fue suficiente. Y tuvo algunas pinceladas, un tiro libre, tuvo un, un, una gambeta, un regate que casi termina en gol también Lionel Messi. Pero de nuevo esas pinceladas de repente no son suficientes en un partido de este calibre. Y bueno, Antoine Griezmann hizo lo que pudo. Dembélé igual. Dembélé hizo muy poco porque jugó muy poco. Pero Antoine Griezmann parece que aún no encuentra esa, ese lugar, ese hueco en en el equipo del Barcelona para poder unirse. No se puede integrar al equipo Antoine Griezmann. Y no sabemos por qué. No sabemos por qué a lo mejor la ideología es distinta a lo que él en algún momento ha visto o lo que él ha, ha querido interpretar o lo que él ha, ha, ha querido emitir en otros equipos. Pero acá en Barcelona no se le han dado las cosas. Y eso es obvio, se, se nota en, en su lenguaje corporal, eh, en, en sus gestos se nota que está frustrado Antoine Griezmann y no le ha podido anotar a su ex equipo creo que, creo que eso también dice mucho de lo que ha sido el tiempo o la etapa de Antoine Griezmann acá en Barcelona y las, las figuras las figuras del Barcelona no, no podemos dejar de hablar de las figuras del Barcelona Marc-André Ter Stegen y Ronald Araujo porque Marc-André Ter Stegen salvó al Barcelona en ese primer tiempo, en varias ocasiones. Varias ocasiones salvó al Barcelona. Pudo haber terminado peor para el Barcelona, pero salieron con un punto porque pudieron recuperarse en ese segundo tiempo. Pero Marc-André Ter Stegen sigue siendo uno de los mejores arqueros del mundo, si no el mejor arquero del mundo. Y para su mala suerte, jugó en la era de, Mar de, de Manuel Neuer. Por eso es que no se ha podido afianzar de ese lugar en el cuadro titular de la selección alemana. Pero acá en Barcelona es titular indiscutible y es el que ha salvado a este equipo de muchísimas tragedias. Esta pudo haber sido una tragedia 
mucho más grande para el Barcelona, pero no lo fue gracias a Marc-André Ter Stegen y Ronald Araujo, lo que te juega a la defensiva, un jugadorazo revulsivo, cambió el juego en ambos aspectos, en el ataque y en la defensa. Pocos jugadores te pueden hacer eso. Hablemos del Atlético de Madrid ahora. Porque este Atlético de Madrid me sorprendió bastante en la manera en la que afrontaron ese primer tiempo. Mantuvieron la pelota. Eso no es típico de Diego Simeone. Diego Simeone quizá te presiona alto los primeros 10-15 minutos del primer tiempo, pero después de ahí apuesta a la contra. Y este equipo del Atlético de Madrid no hizo eso. Este Atleti fue... Buscó, presionó y cuando recuperaba la pelota la mantenía. No jugaba al, al trazo largo. No jugaba como usualmente juega el Atlético de Madrid, brincando líneas. No lo hicieron. Eso me sorprendió bastante. Y al tener el balón un poquito más, al elaborar la jugada, al generar pases, obviamente nacen ocasiones de gol. Y por eso es que el Atlético de Madrid fue superior en ese primer tiempo. Fue muy superior al Barcelona. Luis Suárez tuvo una infinidad de oportunidades. Muchos espacios encontró Luis Suárez en ese primer tiempo. Y remató muchas veces al arco. Marc-André Ter Stegen salvó algunas. Otras eh, pegaron en, en, en el lado de la red. Pero lo que hace Luis Suárez, y esto le, le hicieron énfasis también... En, en los comentarios durante el partido, en la transmisión, dijeron que Luis Suárez tiene una facilidad increíble de poder rematar de cualquier ángulo, en cualquier posición. El, el cuerpo puede estar inclinado hacia adelante, hacia atrás, hacia un lado, no importa. Luis Suárez ahí está para rematar y casi siempre saca un remate a gol. Eso es lo que más... Me sorprende y no debería de sorprenderme porque Luis Suárez tiene 34 años y tiene haciendo esto ya que 15 años en, en Europa tiene haciendo esto más, más de 10. O sea que Luis Suárez tiene haciendo esto toda una vida, toda una carrera. No debería de sorprendernos, pero aún así lo que hace Luis Suárez, la, la facilidad con la que saca un remate y con la que genera peligro en el arco contrario es, es increíble, inigualable, muy difícil de poder replicar. Luis Suárez, un jugador único. Lástima que ninguna de estas oportunidades terminaron en gol para el uruguayo. Pero a la defensiva, obviamente, el Atlético de Madrid iba a sobresalir. Porque ese es su fuerte. El fuerte del Atlético de Madrid es a la defensiva. Y lo que hicieron en el medio campo, anulando a Pedri, dejando a Messi muy solo. Porque lo he dicho también varias veces. Pedri es, es esa, esa cadena. Que, que une a, al ataque con Lionel Messi. Y si anulas a Pedri, Lionel Messi se siente muy solo y lo obligas a hacer esas pinceladas de, la que, de las que mencioné hace unos cuantos minutos. Pedri no fue referente, no fue factor en este partido. Y por eso es que el Atlético pudo rescatar el empate. Se fue con un cero en el arco. Bueno, esa es una de las razones. No diría que es específicamente solo por eso que mantuvieron el cero en el arco. También Jan Oblak tuvo una que otra oportunidad, o perdón, una que otra intervención que ayudó a este Atlético de Madrid. En el segundo tiempo, ya después, el equipo del Atlético empezó a ceder la posesión y vimos un poquito más de lo que es el Atlético de Madrid que nosotros conocemos. Conocemos a un Atlético de Madrid que, que, que cede la posesión 
que no te deja generar mucho juego en ese último tercio de la cancha y algo que también me, me, me llamó la atención bastante fue cada de que Lionel Messi tocaba la pelota, tres o cuatro jugadores del Atlético de Madrid, ¡pum! Rápido, ahí estaban, no lo dejaban tocar, no lo dejaban girar. Tenía que, que apoyarse con alguien. Y usualmente cuando alguien más tiene la pelota, alguien que no es Lionel Messi, el Barcelona no es tan peligroso y eso... No, no requiere de un genio para poder notarlo. Pero se dieron la posesión, el Barcelona empezó a desesperarse, empezó a meter balones al área que le salió bien porque de nuevo Ronald Araujo, Piqué, Lenglet llegaban, cabeceaban y causaban algún tipo de peligro. Pero el juego que, que nos acostumbra el Barcelona no lo ejecutaron de manera cómoda. Y eso es gracias a la marca pegajosísima del Atlético de Madrid. Una marca registrada. No literalmente, pero sí es una marca registrada. Una defensa muy sólida, la del Atlético de Madrid. ¿Qué, qué partido de Yannick Ferreira Carrasco? Creo que jugó un, un, un muy buen partido. Y usualmente, cuando Yannick Carrasco juega estos partidos... Los juega muy bien. Cuando hablo de esos partidos, hablo de partidos importantes, trascendentes, que tienen repercusiones directas con tus aspiraciones hacia el título. Y vaya que tuvo un muy buen partido. Gracias a él sacaron a Oscar Mingueza y tuvieron que meter a Araujo. Gracias a él se generaron muchas oportunidades por ese sector de la izquierda. Y quizá no hubiera jugado en ese sector de la izquierda si no se hubiera lesionado Tomás Lemar. Porque Tomás Lemar era el jugador que estaba proyectado para jugar por izquierda, jugó que 15-20 minutos, se lastimó, hubo un cambio, entró Saúl Ñiguez, se tiró al otro costado, viene Yannick Carrasco, que venía jugando también de lateral carrilero, esa fue la función que, que hizo en este partido, o después de, de la lesión de Tomás Lemar, y lo hizo muy bien, porque había allí muchas debilidades en ese lado del campo para el Barcelona, Carrasco, un partidazo. Pero bueno, las cosas se quedaron exactamente como estaban, porque empató el Barcelona y el Atlético de Madrid y también empató Real Madrid y Sevilla. Empataron 2 a 2 en un partidazo. Pero les quiero hacer la pregunta del millón y quisiera que me respondieran de la manera más honesta. ¿Quién va a ganar la liga? ¿Quién va a ser campeón de España? ¿Qué equipo va a levantar la mano y va a querer levantar el título también? Porque... Si el Atlético pierde puntos, también pierde puntos el Barcelona. Y si pierde puntos el Barcelona, también el, el Real Madrid. Y así las cosas. Es imposible poder predecir quién se va a quedar con el título de la Liga Española esta temporada. Parece que nadie quiere ganar. Parece que ninguno de estos tres, y si incluimos al Sevilla, ninguno de estos cuatro quieren quedar campeones. ¿Quién irá a ganar el título de Liga? Es verdaderamente imposible. Y me temo a decir esto. Que esta carrera, esta lucha por el título de la liga es interesante no porque estos tres contendientes sean buenos. Es porque el nivel ha bajado bastante y estamos a la espera a ver quién es el que se resbala, el que se equivoca primero. Estamos a la espera de eso. No sabemos qué es lo que va a pasar. No sabemos quién, y disculpen la palabra, los mexicanos me van a entender muy bien. No sabemos quién la va a cagar primero. Si la va a cagar primero el Atlético, o el Barcelona, o el Real Madrid. Porque la cagan igual. La cagan igual. Y es 
es de risa a veces, pero también preocupante, pero hace muy interesante esta, esta liga. Algo que no habíamos visto. La temporada pasada se vio, se vio obviamente con el parón de la pandemia y todo eso. Pero esta liga en realidad no sabemos quién la va a ganar. No sabemos quién va a ser el campeón. Igual el Sevilla. El Sevilla puede quedar campeón. Puede ser que el Sevilla quede campeón. Y nos vamos a quedar todos con la boca abierta. Pero en realidad nos deberíamos de quedar con la boca abierta. Porque no sabemos. No sabemos. Es tan impredecible esta liga. Ha sido tan impredecible. Por ejemplo, vamos a ver los últimos tres partidos del Barcelona. El Barcelona tiene al Levante, al Celta y al Eibar. En un mundo ideal ganan los tres partidos. Tienen que ganar los tres partidos. El, el Real Madrid tiene, si no me equivoco, tiene el, al Granada, al Athletic Club y tienen al Villarreal. De esos tres partidos, yo pensaría que el Real Madrid mínimo empata uno de esos. O sea que ya eliminaríamos al Real Madrid de ahí. Y el Atlético de Madrid, si me dan un momento... Voy a ver los partidos que tiene, pero les aseguro que de esos tres, el Real Madrid es el equipo que tiene los partidos más difíciles, los partidos restantes más difíciles. Porque tienen al Granada, al, el Granada le, le robó puntos al, al Barcelona hace unas cuantas semanas. Atlético de Madrid juega contra la Real Sociedad. Ese es un partido difícil, un partido muy difícil. Juegan contra los Asuna. Y juegan contra el Valladolid. De nuevo, en un mundo ideal, el Atlético de Madrid tendría que ganar los tres partidos. Pero ese partido contra la Real Sociedad, en realidad, me deja algunas dudas. Porque no sé por qué no puedo confiar en este equipo de, de Diego Pablo Simeone. O bueno, sí sé. Porque llega el momento, el, el momento en donde en realidad... Tienes que cerrar la liga, tienes que cerrar un, un partido, una victoria y lo echan a perder. Ya parece ser una tendencia de ellos. Es un comportamiento del, del Atlético de Madrid. Es un comportamiento que tienen ellos. Un comportamiento de echar a perder una victoria que ya tenían en la bolsa. Lo vimos en Lisboa en el 2014. Se ha visto también en, en Champions, en la liga también. Cuando ya tienen algo en la bolsa, lo echan a perder, lo pierden. Y es irónico porque la manera en la que juegan no, de, no deberían de, de echar a perder sus oportunidades. Porque cierran bien las filas. Pero de repente hay errores puntuales, errores mentales. Y ahí es en donde el equipo del Atlético de Madrid termina perdiendo. Pero sigue la pregunta, ¿quién gana la liga? Quisiera saber. En realidad quiero saber si alguien me puede decir el futuro, díganme, porque estoy perdiendo sueño. Bueno, no, no estoy perdiendo sueño, pero obviamente es una exageración. Pero quiero saber, quiero saber qué piensan ustedes. ¿Quién gana la liga? Quedan tres fechas, tres fechas para que termine la liga y está parejísimo, pero para mal, no tanto para bien. Bueno, ahí está, la liga, la liga española, veremos cómo queda esta liga, esta temporada tan, tan interesante. All right, moving on now. Let's talk about Manchester City against Chelsea. They played right after Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. This matchup seemed to be uh, a rehearsal for the Champions League final. And of course, that's that's a given because these are the two finalists for the Champions League. And now they were facing off in the Premier League. Let's, let's keep in mind that Manchester City with a win 
would have secured a Premier League title. But, of course, we all know what happened. This, this matchup, specifically this one, was very intriguing for many reasons. The first one, of course, again, a rehearsal for the Champions League final. But the second one, I just wanted to see what Pep Guardiola had to show. I I wanted to to see if Pep Guardiola was going to show anything similar to what what he played with against PSG in both legs and what we're used to seeing. And funny enough, sure enough, Pep Guardiola, the genius that he is, he showed a completely different system. Because we're not used to seeing this team play with an actual striker. And in this game, Sergio Aguero and Gabriel Jesus both played. Raheem Sterling also made an appearance. But for Chelsea, on Chelsea's side, Chelsea maintained a similar structure, but they rotated their squad, which is very smart. Of course, Thomas Tuchel doesn't want his players to be to be cramping up. He doesn't want his players to be exhausted because not only do they have a Champions League final to play in a few weeks, they also have an FA Cup final this Saturday, and surely they would want to win that one. Uh, but moving on to the actual game, it felt as if Chelsea had control of the rhythm. They had control of the rhythm of the game because Manchester City didn't look comfortable at all with or without the ball. And if there's something that we have learned about Manchester City these last couple of weeks, maybe even these last couple of months, is that they are becoming more and more comfortable without the ball. When they don't have the ball, they don't panic. They don't go and press all out. They press but they don't leave themselves exposed in the back. And even if they do, they have a guy like Ruben Diaz and John Stones that's in form, that can clean up whatever mess that midfield or even that attack might leave. But, funny enough, again, Manchester City responds to that to that lull of a first half or, or that, um, or simply that, 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 that lack of rhythm that Manchester City had, they, they responded to their own to their own errors and mistakes with a long ball. And again, that's how they scored against PSG in the second leg. They, they respond with a long ball, which is becoming now a trademark for whatever reason. Gabriel Jesus gets the ball, plays it across to Aguero. He whiffed completely on that one, and then Raheem Sterling cleans up the mess. 1-0. Then... City gets a penalty. Manchester City gets a penalty, and here's something that I that I really want to talk about. Sergio Aguero takes the penalty, Panenka's it, gets saved easily by Edward Mendy. Wasn't fooled at all. But I want to ask you guys this, and I, I really hope that you guys answer this to yourselves in the most sincere way possible. If you were in Sergio Aguero's shoes, would you have done the same? It's hard to put yourself in his shoes, first of all, for any of us, because we're not professionals, or unless there's a professional listening, it might be a little easier for you. But let's be honest. We would have probably done something similar, and even if we didn't do anything similar, if he would have scored this goal, what would we be saying right now? If he would have scored that Panenka penalty, we would be praising him. We would see. We would be saying how courageous he is. There would be one or two people that would be talking about how there's a lack of sportsmanship right there, but we don't care about those people. We would be talking about how courageous and how much of a genius Sergio Aguero is for attempting that in a game that sealed the Premier League title. 
we would be praising him. But since he missed, we're going to shit on him completely. Because that's what our society does. And that's fine. I get it. But I'm going to be a contrarian and I'm going to praise Sergio Aguero for attempting it. And if, if he was listening to me, I would say, you know what, Sergio? You don't have to apl- apologize for anything. You don't have to apologize. Don't, don't tweet about feeling bad. Don't do it. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. It's okay. We all make our mistakes. And you've done more than enough for Manchester City. I'm sure Manchester City fans don't care because all they got to do is win. All Manchester City has to do is win one more game. And I'm sure they're going to win it. I bet my life savings that they're going to win their next game in the Premier League to secure the title. So again, if Aguero would have scored, we would be praising him. The tone would be different. Maybe Manchester City would be the champs. But with that being said, that moment right there was when everything shifted against Manchester City because the game started off bad, then they got into some rhythm, they played a little better, they got more comfortable, but that woke Chelsea up. And maybe, maybe that's what Sergio Aguero regrets. And of course, again, it's easy to regret it once you see it, once you have the the Monday paper there with you. Sunday or Monday, whatever that however that that saying goes. But City was dominating the possession. Manchester City was dominating the possession again as they always do. They were playing their game. They were they, they were making their opponents dizzy with how much they were touching the ball. They were passing the ball. They they, they were having their way, if you want to say. But then Chelsea had an opportunity and they didn't miss. Rodri was dispossessed very easily in midfield. He was dispossessed really really easily. And then something that I that I highlighted from this play that ended up in Chelsea's equalizer wasn't necessarily the finish, even though Hakim Ziyech's finish was very, very good. But it's Christian Pulisic. And Christian Pulisic off the ball. He makes a dummy run into the box, leaving Hakim Ziyech wide open outside of the box. I just take the shot with his left foot. What I also want to ask this. Do you guys think maybe Ederson could have done a little more on that one? I don't know. I kind of had the impression, but regardless, great finish by Hakim Ziyech. But Pulisic, again, those little runs. He's so dangerous. The defenders are always paying attention to Christian Pulisic. And when you're paying attention to one player, or you're devoted to marking one player, well, at some point, you're going to have to give up. To the, you're, you're giving up your attention. You're, you're compromising. And if that's the case, well, you're leaving guys like Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner wide open and Hakim Ziyech does that we move on to another controversial thing that happened in this game Raheem Sterling gets fouled I believe I saw it real time I thought it was a penalty then they go to VAR and I'm like yes this is definitely a penalty and I'm going to go back right now since I have my my tablet right here right in front of me and I'm going to watch it again Because I wholeheartedly believe that this was a penalty. I think that this was a penalty. Because Kurt Zuma, Kurt Zuma clips him. He clips him. And I I really, really do think, here we go. I'm going to watch it right now. I really do think that Kurt Zuma clips Raheem Sterling, stops his, his momentum. 
And that should have been a penalty. I'm looking at it right now. Good ball there by John Stones. Raheem Sterling beats Kurt Zuma. And then Kurt Zuma puts a hand on his hip, on his waist, and then he clips him. And just seeing that real time, I thought that was a penalty. And then, of course, you have the replays, and you think that's a penalty. Here's an even slower hand, hand there, and then boom. Clips him like two or three times. Maybe a little bit exaggerated from Raheem Sterling, of course. But I thought that was a penalty. I really want to know what you guys think. I thought that was a penalty. I really thought that Raheem Sterling was fouled. And then again, Manchester City, in in this hypothetical world, they would have gotten a penalty. Then maybe they would have scored 2-1. And again, we would be talking about Manchester City being the Premier League champions. But that didn't happen. What does happen? Hudson-Odoi comes in. And then he puts a great ball to Timo Werner, who then puts it into the box. And Marcos Alonso, out of every Chelsea player that it could have been, it was Marcos Alonso. Hadn't played in months. He comes in. He scores the goal. He scores the goal from an assist by Timo Werner. Oh, surprise. What a surprise. I'm so shocked that Timo Werner assisted. Everyone wants to shit on him. Timo Werner, he does a lot more than just score goals. And this is something that he does. Assist. Chelsea, we do have to say this. In their last two games, they're two for two against Manchester City. Is this is this something that they will use as motivation? Is this something that they can use against Manchester City? Like, hey, we have your number. We're going to beat you guys a third time. And now we're going to beat you when it matters most. Because let's be completely honest. When they beat them in the FA Cup semifinal, they deny them of a title. And then when they beat them this Saturday, they beat them and denied another title for Manchester City. They're going to end up winning it. But they denied them a, a title that day. I think that says something about Chelsea. And I know Chris might listen back to this right now. And he'll say, no, please, don't, don't, don't do this. Chris, I'm sorry, I'm going to do this. Chelsea's not that big of an underdog for the Champions League final. They are not. Chelsea just isn't a big underdog. If we want to go by the odds, maybe they're like a minus 160. Sorry, a plus 160. If, if that, I think it might even be a pick'em. If we look at the odds, I don't know how many of you gamble, but I think Chelsea's not that big of an underdog. Do I think Manchester City can pull it off? Absolutely. I think they are the favorites going into this final. But Chelsea has that edge over Manchester City because they beat them twice in the last month and they want to make it a third time in the last month and a half. Chelsea has some sort of momentum. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not some sort of momentum. It's, it's huge momentum. It's a big momentum. And then if they win an FA Cup in between the last time that they played and the Champions League final... I mean, Manchester, sorry, Chelsea's going to have such a huge boost of confidence going into this game. And then you just look back at what they did, that that improvement that they've had ever since Frank Lampard left and Thomas Tuchel took over. And this is a completely different team. This is a much better team. So yeah, Chelsea's not that big of an underdog. And I'm going to say this again, and I know Chris is going to get even more mad. They're not that big of an underdog. 
And it's not crazy for me to think that Chelsea's going to win the Champions League. It was crazy for me to think that Chelsea was going to win the Champions League in Munich. And they won it. And now, sure, they might not be the favorites. But they're not as big of underdogs as they were in Munich. Going back to the game. I do have to say this, and it might be a bit of a contradiction. But Manchester City beat themselves. They beat themselves. They really did. And again, maybe this isn't that big of a of a loss for Manchester City because they know they're going to win the title regardless. But if you're a Manchester City fan, you should hope that that's the mentality that they have approaching this game because if they took this loss to heart and they think, oh my goodness, Chelsea has our number, this could be a long, long couple of weeks for Manchester City trying to build up courage and trying to build up their confidence rather to play man uh, to, to play Chelsea again so this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting and maybe tactically this wasn't a rehearsal for the game because Pep Guardiola showed a completely different face and Thomas Tugel played with different players but this could be a huge boost in the confidence of Chelsea and of course, of course, before I wrap this up, you can say, well, Chelsea beat the, what you can call the B squad of Manchester City. Yeah, that's fine. But the B squad of Manchester City can probably go out and win the Premier League themselves because they're that good. So they beat a damn good team. They beat a really good team. Chelsea did. And now the ultimate test for both Manchester City and Chelsea comes up. On May 29th, which, by the way, we're going to have a lot of previews going into that Champions League final. But that's a different story. The real test for both teams is going to be on May 29th in the Champions League final. And this was, yeah, maybe not a rehearsal. But this could very well be some sort of foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the Champions League final. All right, we have five minutes on the clock, and we kick off stoppage time. Robert Lewandowski appears to be on the move. He is yet to decide his future. The Polish striker's contract ends in 2023 with Bayern Munich, and we still don't know where he is going to play. He could easily just sign again with Bayern Munich, but he could very well be looking for a new challenge and that's maybe something that could happen some sources told ESPN and it looks like the two teams that are being linked with Robert Lewandowski are oh surprise Manchester City and Chelsea we just talked about them in this previous segment and he could leave as soon as this summer so it it's close it's close it could happen very very soon but in this little stoppage time segment that I am making right now, I want to make a case for both teams because both teams really make sense. It's it's difficult to, to have two options that make a whole bunch of sense. And both of these options make a lot of sense for Robert Lewandowski. Let's start off with Manchester City. The reasons why Robert Lewandowski to Manchester City makes so much sense is that he already knows the Pep Guardiola system. He knows what Pep Guardiola's teams are like. He played in those teams for what? Two seasons? Three seasons? 
he was a crucial part in those teams. He was the top goal scorer in that Bayern Munich. So he knows what that's like. He would mesh into that Pep Guardiola Manchester City quite easily. You also look at the talent that would surround Robert Lewandowski at Manchester City. Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, Ilkay Gundogan, Bernardo Silva. I can see those guys feeding Lewandowski to 40 Premier League goals in his first season. Because that's the beauty of guys like Robert Lewandowski. They're they're plug and play. You can put them anywhere. But if you put them with a guy like Pep Guardiola, a guy that he's already played under, well, it's easier. It's easier to get used to the new system or the new league, rather. Manchester City and Robert Lewandowski, I love it. I love it. I think that should be his first option. That should be his first option. But now, if he decides to go to Chelsea, if he decides to go to Chelsea, I mean, my goodness, same thing. He would mesh immediately because the tools, the pieces around him are there. He would have guys like Kai Havertz, Christian Pulisic. He would have a Timo Werner, a Hakim Ziyech. That would work amazing. And not only that, not not only would Robert Lewandowski benefit greatly from moving on to Chelsea, you know who else would benefit greatly from a Robert Lewandowski arrival? Timo Werner. Because Timo Werner, maybe wrongfully, was brought into Chelsea as the goal scorer. They wanted him to be the goal scorer. When he's not, he's much more than that. So that would ease the pressure off of Timo Werner. And Timo Werner would assist Robert Lewandowski for days. He would They would score so many goals together. They would link up for so, so many goals. Because we already know Timo Werner is amazing at assisting and facilitating the game for his teammates. He can do that. He can definitely do that. And not only that, Robert Lewandowski would go to a German manager, a team that is managed by a German. So he would feel somewhat like at home. And again, Robert Lewandowski doesn't shy away from the high expectations. He's he's okay with the big expectations. It, it, it doesn't matter. Wherever he goes, he's going to want to play Champions League. He has the Champions League secured with Chelsea or with Manchester City. But they would be great options. Something that both of these teams have in common is that they need a striker now. Manchester City, Sergio Aguero's leaving, Gabriel Jesus, he hasn't been it. We haven't seen much from him. He hasn't been that good. Then you look over at Chelsea. Again, Timo Werner isn't really that solution that you need to your goal drought, if you want to say. Olivier Giroud, he's not getting many minutes. Probably not going to get many minutes. Maybe he's on his way out for all we know. But both of these teams really need a striker. And who else would you rather want than Robert Lewandowski? Maybe the most informed striker in the last, what, two seasons? Unbelievable. Robert Lewandowski is an unbelievable player. And he would benefit greatly from moving on to the Premier League. And the Premier League would benefit greatly from having a player like Robert Lewandowski. Because let's be honest, the Premier League does have a lot of great goal scorers. And they've had a lot of great great goal scorers in their history. So there's that. Robert Lewandowski could be on the move. For all we know, maybe this summer he will be playing for either Manchester City or for Chelsea. That will do it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all so much for listening to me ramble for, what was what, like 45 minutes or something like that. I greatly appreciate you guys. Again, Chris wasn't able to make it this week. He will be back next week, and we will have 
the squad back together. That's it for me. My name is Alex Perez. Thank you all so much for listening. I would appreciate it if you follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Alex Perez FC. Again, subscribe to the YouTube channel right here. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Um, I was going to say Apple Podcasts and iTunes. That's the same thing. Full disclosure. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Total Foot Club. That is it for me. Take care, everyone. Thank you all for listening. Again, take care. Goodbye.